Section four of Through Broadland in a Braden Punt by John Nolittle, a pseudonym of the writer and naturalist Arthur Henry Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapters seven and eight. Chapter seven. Night on Braden. In the street and in society. I am almost invariably cheap. My life is unspeakably mean. I love and celebrate nature, even in detail, because I love the scenery of these interviews and translations. I love to remember every creature that was at this club. I thus get off a certain social scurf. By Thorough I must sideslip for one moment to say that I do not always fall into line with this sweet transcendentalist, whom Dirks, one of his editors, refers to as a pathetic ascetic, a yearning, melancholy dreamer, denying himself common human interests and affections. I thank heaven that I love nature and solitude, and thorough and feel, in these solitudes, the problem of existence simplified. I also love the society of my fellows and my kindred, nor would I altogether divest myself of this social scurf. I'd rather scratch it and feel myself human. And to end my philosophy, I would say that I, like others, and much influenced by the books I read, and tinctured by the men I associate with. Today I go fishing, hopeful, expectant, with three other idling anglers on the opposite side of the river to the Moorhen the second. As I prepare my tackle and baits, Jim, the natterjack toad, whom I could tame if I had room for a vivarium, is pushing up the lid of his tin. I have tamed many, until they took caterpillars from my fingers. But, as I cannot just now do him justice, I let him go adrift on the marsh. A handsome red, green, yellow freckled beastie, with jewels for eyes, and the belly of an alderman. After last night's feed, he hath a tongue sprightlier than a termagant's. The man who can convince me that he can trace the lightning flash of it that transfers a beetle from a strawberry root to his stomach, I would try to believe him. But to my fishing. Four robust anglers sat studiously eyeing the swift river, whereon floats a hopeless and ledger leads invaluable. If biting proved slow, sociability did not wax cold, and I fear yours truly of his great stock of stories of queer fishers, queerer men, and what not, had a tongue of a natterjack. Pent rivers are those that burst their banks. I talk to my boat, my little birdie friends, but not to myself when I am alone. It is then that I think. 
What's that, Norfolk? Four. Don't you hull them old brame too big a one? They'll as leaf take a juicy little maggot when they unt nose at a whoppin' lob one. Thank you, Marshman Hodge. Fine chap with his hello you there and his now then bore come together do i myself sat in my small dinghy flory and scored a few bites which was something and watched a scared brown spider an orb weaver whose white fly net had been built under cover in the bow end i knew that no disturbing hand had touched the dinghy in my absence just as truly as the english soldiery spying the spider's web in the cave's doorway knew that robert the bruce was not in hiding when he was i wound up with a clinking but my instinct told me the fish were not on feed so did two others they had capital bites our fourth man mr barker took on paste mark ye a fourteen ounce eel a beautiful clean run silver belly weighed on the spot which he kindly handed to the ichthyophagist barbarian i have eaten scantily of meat on this voyage about two ounces so far but have been and am still pining for fruit the very word mulberry affects my saliva but i have eaten few for years the twenty odd trees in yarmouth in my silkworm days when i knew every one have been ruthlessly destroyed oh that the bureside had them in lieu of alders that eel was a godsend for they have bitten badly until now but an eel taken on paste is an inexcusable suicide at twelve fifty five i was over the river in the moorhen the second and the eel had been divested of its clothes and in company with luscious onions and new potatoes from the farm was in the saucepan over the good-tempered primus stove at one thirty my table was spread before me in the wilderness wrecking of luxury come forth thorough who tells us moreover i wished sometimes to add fish to my fare for variety i have actually fished from the same kind of necessity that the first fishers did whatever humanity i might conjure up against it was all facetious and concerned my philosophy more than my feelings i had long felt differently about fowling thanks you have voiced this point for me i was pining for a whiff of braden and so mopped up the parent ship and submarine and put the latter into commission again i was off to the concord and anxiously looked for the ebb seeing me you might well have asked dost thou still haunt the brink of yonder river's side at seven o'clock 
I rowlocked my oars for a several-mile paddle downstream. The wind had shifted to mostly dead ahead, and I had waited for the ebb to lighten my toil. Pushing downstream against the last of the flood for half a mile or so, I came to a queer dish-shapen yacht with a pleasant couple on board a-camping out. They were hanging to the reeds in a windswept reach, and on my suggesting they should seek a lee round the bend, we exchanged confidences. A decaying cabbage caught my eye, floating deeply, a wretched failure that had not fulfilled its mission, but it made good by telling me the tide had turned. My progress downstream was steady but slow, for the tide was sluggish. No yacht passed on either side, or moved in either direction. It was as if the river were a tributary of the Dead Sea. I saw a great host of starlings drop in the reeds to bed, a duck or two, and that was about all. The reeds all pointed their leaf ends one way, with the wider part to winnard. Tomorrow they may point easterly. The sun's face lowered into the horizon at 8.30 in a promising temper, red and pleasant. A curlew, curlewed, high aloft, heading for Braden to join the crowd. But no ships passed in the night. At Borough at nine, the old grey ruins, now without Roman sentries, guarding the cornfield in their midst. As I crossed the confluence of the Yare and the Waveney, I observed in the gloaming a heron standing upright on a stake, like a stone Nelson on his pillar. I paddled on, glorying in the smooth tide that a tall half-moon made beautiful. Still, alone on a wide, wide sea. Just past the dicky works, a crowd of redshanks piped, and the outposts of the curlews called, All's Well. At 9.30, I passed the cross-stake, when misty clouds rolled in from the sea, and curtained the moon with grey-black billows, shutting out the offside guideposts. It was an eerie progress, unfitted for a stranger who knows not Braden, but I fetched up a left-hand stake at intervals, and hope the commissioners will speedily drive in the much-needed new ones to replace those ripped up by tide and ice flows. By a quarter to twelve, I had turned stake six and gone up the ship drain, and moored to Jari's houseboat. He was not there, and so in the midst of two thousand acres of mud and water, both in turn, I lashed two, put up my fixtures by feeling, and turned in for the night. As I peered over the waters in the silence, I thought I saw the ghosts of Braden, of many an old sporting pal, long since vanished from tidal waters and gone into the great nevermore. Past me, 
ghostly punt and smelt boat with noiseless oar-dip carrying shadowy guns and nets hello snicker and a hail to shorten page but the dead went mutely by pass by pintail thomas in search of phantom avocets and spoonbills and fielding harmer the braden authority of his generation fading like his contemporaries saltfish jacks billy sampson limpany joe giant eelmen in their day into the lone effacement with silky watson peering over the rail adown his flintlock fowling gun at spirit widgeon the cool breezes of the sticks are fluttering his long grey ringlets whilst the spectre of gaunt cadger brown off on some phantom poaching expedition was silhouetted on the estuary wall as we grow older how more real the past becomes to us i am glad i have obituaried many of these men in my books these were men once going away with long duck guns with watertight boots seeking teal sheldrakes whistlers black ducks ospreys such men as they who sit in parlours never dream of a quote by thorough at twelve fifteen i think i slept a little at three the mail train for miles sped along with thundering wheels at three thirty the curlews woke me at four black-headed gulls mewed as they did at scalton nesting quarters at six thirty two local smelters in the heavy mist went rowing by to their labours i had been the only living soul on braden the whole night and felt like fenimore cooper's last of the mohicans weeping over his lost prairies his dead tribe and the extirpation of his buffaloes at seven i rode down to the boat shed where the yarwhelp like jobs's ass that knoweth its master's crib slid up the rollers for a rest while the skipper laid in stores for the morrow's voyage up the bure chapter eight bureside reminiscences first i let him know his name should be friday i was greatly interested to teach him everything that was proper to make him useful handy and helpful and he was the aptest scholar that ever was it was very pleasant to me to talk to him i pointed out the fowl taken from robinson crusoe this evening as the sun is lowering in a beautiful sky and my young companion is paddling on the placid translucent bure we are nearing stokesby every reed leaf and each tree duplicates itself as in a looking-glass i am sitting astern ink-pot at side with contentment in every fibre of my being scribbling this epistle only the soothing dip of the oar-blades 
breaking the silence. Two editions grace my tiny library in John Oxenham's All Clear and Bees and Amber. Little volumes of happy thoughts, thank offerings for my Broadland story from two different sources. Thanks to the donors. I have shipped an addition to the crew today, Master Leslie Nicholson, worthy son of a worthy Norfolk botanist. It was like squeezing an extra sardine into an already packed tin. Tonight we must kip in a space. My little well, 72 inches by 30. How is it to be done? Shall Friday sleep in Crusoe's cave? Shall I be obliged to pack him in the kit bag and sling him in the reeds to roost with the starlings, the snipe, and the bog bumper? Or hang him like a pawny squaw's piccaninny on a tree trunk, his legs let free to kick through two holes at the bag bottom as a warning to others? I named him Friday, of course, hoping him no cannibal, and made him take the watchers turn and turn about. The Yarwhelp slid down the Braden side boat shed rollers, refitted and revittled, and made towards the newly buoyed Noel, giving a sly wink, no doubt, knowing that dreadful confluence, Scroby, as well as any old wherry. Her lair, the rough boat-shed, could tell many a yarn of its earlier tenants, of Pintail Thomas, Jimmy Her, and other gunners. Next door, Oswald Diver, Champion Sculler, used to berth his outrigger. Here around, many another character loafed between the tides. The bowling green, at the corner opposite, is such no longer, and the pub is a smartened-up office for a shipbuilder, the historic green rubble-covered for a slope to lay down fishing-boat keels. Shorn of its elms, its turf, and the low wall on which Braden idlers lean talking of old forays and planning new ones, to me Ichabod should be its new title. Smelter and wildfowler, river and marsh poacher, amateur and professional, are gone, never to muster again against fowl or fish. But are they not in the Book of Chronicles, written by this humble author? Would you know more of them? Read my Wild Life on a Norfolk Estuary, Man and Nature on Tidal Waters, etc., they are in the libraries. These departed notorieties are worthy of remembrance, rough diamonds though they were. We enter the Bure by its dirty front porch, hoping soon to revel in its beautiful reed-bordered drawing-rooms. At low water, to some, this quarter has a depressing outlook a tumbled-down, squalid aspect that appeals only to the accomplished artist who, with a few additional touches of colour, transforms it into a charming picture, 
wherein decay suggests beauty and ugliness succumbs to art the yacht folk waiting for the flood if not still sticking on the knoll either through their own want of acumen or non-advice from yacht letters like lamed gulls on a mud-flat in their smart craft and garish costumes with the picturesque worries do also redeem the grossness of the background and the poverty of it now most broad guides tell the same old stories over and again pointing out the sights parrot fashion let me go on my own gate we slip under the gloomy railway bridge dodging others going upstream leaving station master weston with his admiral's cap to admire his sunny face in the stirred waters if he can we have not yet stepped the mast as there is another bridge to negotiate the raffle of lowered gear on the larger vessels is never pleasant to me to look at. Our one halyard and tiny kestrel-coloured sail making no mess, our boom an enlarged broomstick. What a story could I tell of this first half-mile? Of gunners, of mulleters, eelmen, smelters, all gone into the nevermore but this is a log and not an obituary or a record of long past events see that tumbled down wooden shanty against the malt house on weekdays it was a shrimper's shelter on the sabbath a humble church the little parson flaxman was its pastor herein on a sunday morning sat weather-beaten toil-hardened sons of adam let us step back twenty years and stumble in with the others the place reeks of tobacco smoke the smokers keenly listening to the friendly words of the speaker who to-day is nearing i fear the borderline he hath done well might be the verdict of his strenuous life and he is looking for the reward in simple language the little parson tells the story that charms these wild men's hearts whose mastheads we dimly see through tobacco smoke they turn over the preacher's words critically as he proceeds often verbally and expectorate skilfully at intervals into the fender or in a handy knot-hole in the floor let me tell a true story one day the talk was of zaccheus the men listened intently and he sought to see jesus but could not for the press because he was little of stature went on the parson in kindly tones what oh shorten remarked a pal you wouldn't a stood much chance for shorten was under five feet even when in his big water boots and he ran before went on flaxman and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him 
There you are, boar, triumphantly put in Shorten, scoring a point. A reviewer once said that I send all my old scamps to heaven. And why not? Life was hard here, and should be no worse in the hereafter, for the ways of men are narrow, but the gates of heaven are wide. I may not stay to talk of the disaster of the forties, when a previous suspension bridge fell in, drowning scores of sightseers. It is a well-known tragedy, which all guidebooks dwell upon. I tell one short story. Said Noah Nichols to me, Father and me heard the crash, and rushed from the pub, jumped aboard the wherry, let go the stern rope, and let her swing on the flood. We hauled out scores, dead and alive, and laid them on the hatches to drain. At the inquest, they said we drowned more than we saved, but it were a blank lie. Twas t'other way about. Pintail Thomas told me that he and his father, in their punt, saved a score or more. We clutched the women and gals by the hair of their heads, and hitched them to the boat tholes, and so get em ashore. I was fortunate, years after, in securing one of the broken links, and presented it to the Tollhouse Museum. Let her rip, Man Friday. Let's get clear of this yacht station. But stay a moment to note that the water for once is cleanish. Yesterday it was black, the day before green, red, brown and so on. Exudations from a proximitous sewer opening, ye gods. If I were on the council, I'd turn berserker, or rather, whale and would spelt fire and brimstony words upon the recreation committee. I could tolerate what Walter Rye aptly termed the never very savoury smells, and he ought to know, for he smelt them. They did talk of having a smart place in 1893, but in pulling down sheds and stables they discovered certain ugly insects. Some were sent to me to christen, but I knew they were not Cymex lectularis. What are they? Well, in plain English, bedbugs. A great entomologist assured me they were the nymphs, or young, of Lytochorus campestris, harmless insects that live in decaying wood and horse bedding. I don't know if these big words choked the scheme, but it fell through, and today's seedy exhibition is the result. It is time more old sheds went for firewood, and their sights lawned and rolled and treed, and made meat for yachting men's comfort and requirements. Push on, Friday. Let's go where we can breathe God's purer air. Where? Like Thurow, my serenity is rippled, but not ruffled. And, like him, have our spirits infallibly rise in proportion to the outward dreariness. Give me the ocean, 
the desert or the wilderness and most broad books tell us there is a bleak outlook for the next few miles to me it is not so for they bristle with pleasant memories of days when the heart was younger when benjamin dye was my punt chum on bird shooting expeditions yes i then shot birds but these outings taught me much and in the end to sell my gun and provide me with field glasses and to love all things both great and small we take one lingering look at the dear old town now mellowing into a sort of beauty in the distance with its boys and girls its old friends and many associations and let out all sail for our voyage half regretfully and wholly delighted at yon sluice-gate charles harrison painted a picture of the town with two wherries assailing in the foreground which has been reproduced in our life of him now we are off let us forget the savages left behind and seek adventures among new ones and forget the cannibal feastings of the city fathers avoiding rural ones nor shall we need too long as crusoe did for sight of caravel or galleon to return him to civilization it was on yon marsh that parson hull prayed for our dual safety from a bull on that one i ran for my very life from another there we used to lie in october evenings waiting for plover flight every picture tells a story every old marsh dyke hath a poem for me in goodly type friday can write i find so i hand him the notebook to scribble down my observations whilst i row here are the jottings bure entrance shrimpers mending their nets destructor good-bye boy anglers fishing in front of a sewer small motor with four men like mussels in a saucer the brute at some five miles an hour makes as much swell as hms furious a twelve-ton sloop brick jot passes making no more commotion than a photographer washing his prints told friday a story about a bradener at a sluice catching four fish on three hooks this way first a bream second another third an eel which a pike had seized the eel had pushed its tail through the pike's gills strangling it and the pike had failed to withdraw its teeth other stories to vary the rowing friday tells crusoe that someone at whitlingham is fixing an old cab body on a boat for a houseboat <laughs> wish him luck at six thirty tied to a rond throughout lloyd george the tin stove why lloyd george well it soon gets warmed up and the onlookers know it we find no goats on the islands but calves come round to look at us 
Shall we shoot, salt, and ship one? Now for Acle, pass we yachts snugged for the night in pretty places. Tunstall Dyke, an old haunt of the Moorhen the first, badly grown up. At Stokesby, the village wit clumsily bawled from the pub door some stale eel joke. At ten, in the moonlight, pegged down at the Bridge Hotel. Host George, glad to see me. Miss sweeping along the river, portending a good day tomorrow. The last scene, as we turn in, is a huddle of yachts, dinghies, etc., clinging to a hard-worked motorboat that pass by like a Barnum and Bailey circus. Good night, Friday. Good night, Massa, says my white-skinned Caribbean Friday. End of section four.